we're going to be excluded uh, if, if you brethren vote to, to support this this proposal and uh, uh, this reunion. Uh, and I think that it's, that, that it's wrong uh, because you're you're making it regional. If if uh, the the consideration that uh, uh, brother uh, Ken uh, put forth here uh, is is the truth as far as the amended worldwide amended uh, uh, household is concerned, then it should be presented to to those members who. Uh,
responsibilities into eternal life, but it also reaffirms this principle. And that was done because historically, um, as brethren at the time of Rittman said, because of an aggressive denial of this principle that led to their minds, it led to the, the division. Now, there are other causes. I said we'll all be ashamed in the dead as to what led to it. But that is a concern, equal with the unamended concern. Now, the proposal then seeks to, and with the letters of assurance, simply seeks to um, address those two aspects, things that in fact we do all agree on, and to put in place as a basis of reunion. What the whole point is, is we desire to later rest an issue that was dropped into the scene, aggressively pressed at a point in time, where it was left in a more uh, loose kind of manner, and by its reestablishing, reaffirming what was, what we, what was, uh, you know, I think rather defined from scripture in its basic sense, the basic principle in, in reaffirming that belief. That's what the proposal does. It seeks to reaffirm that belief. But it seeks to do it, and this is important, because all of you have received circulars that purport to say, even on the California one, that differences or problems are being ignored. And you cannot read the amended letter of assurance and say those problems haven't been addressed or concerns have not been addressed. The brethren have tried to bend over backwards to meet the concerns about abuses that have occurred in the amended community. As much as we're seeking to lay to rest uh, those abuses which have occurred in our community, which is why these these uh, assurances were written on the unamended side. The idea that uh, one could delay baptism so they could do some other things their flesh desired, that somehow that didn't matter to God, and now you're baptized, the whole world changes. Or that lack of baptism could be used as a defense against God's judgment, you can't touch me, uh, which foolish men have done. And there are living brethren today who can tell you of people that they, they know personally. This is why the statement was made in the unamended letter of assurance that we believe responsibility begins with an awareness or understanding of God's revealed will, not with baptism. Not only because that was the, a principle, but because the abuse that has arisen uh, where brethren have been led to this way of thinking. And second, to then reaffirm that we believe that God holds a person liable to resurrectional judgment or condemnation based on his knowledge and understanding of God's revealed will when his circumstances are such as to leave him without excuse. And then that we do not believe or teach that baptism is a prerequisite, that you have to be baptized to be resurrectionally condemned. Now, that's the issue that's before us. Um, I think... I don't want to presume this, but I think that in putting the, you know, where we are at this point in our discussion, I, I believe, brethren, that the matters are clearly distinguished sufficiently. That you should have no preconceptions, misunderstandings about what the proposal is asserting. And that, you, that to understand, when you ask the question, well, why then is this in the proposal, it is because it's our belief, these brethren here, just our belief at this point, that it's time to lay to rest these issues that have been uh, creating uh, this, this divisiveness and turmoil in our midst. To lay it to rest, not on, on emotional grounds or social grounds, but to lay it to rest on basic, sound scriptural principles, affirming both things that are very true, and saying it's time to move away from those arguments that tore us asunder. Once we have assurance 
that the abuse, which is what both communities have been reacting to for 100 years, as opposed to just the actual uh, religious arguments, but the abuses that have occurred, once we have the safeguard they won't occur in the future, then I believe we can lay to rest these matters. That's what the proposal and letters of assurances intend to do. Yeah, could you just give a little clarification because you do have uh, that uh, phrase several times that, uh, about God holding a person liable to resurrection, resurrection judgment based on his knowledge and understanding of God's revealed will. Now, in the, I forget how you put it, just plainly writing. When is circumstances? Yeah, could you give an example of that? Because I'm trying to think of when there could be circumstances that you can leave in What do you have in mind? I, I might have something completely different from what you've read and have in mind. So I, I would like a little clarification on that. The intent of saying that, this is from True Principles on Certain Details. To give you an example, rather than ask, well, what are the circumstances that eliminate all excuse? You see that the Bible? Some have suggested that. Seriously suggested it. Hearing a lecture? Well, that was an abuse that we were very concerned about. Having sufficient mental capacity? Well, perhaps that's an issue. Open divine certification of the divinity of the Bible? Well, those are the four that Brother Roberts mentioned. We might say, we might even ask, does one have to have the signs of the Holy Spirit present? Or is it sufficient that the signs of the Holy Spirit which are operative today in fulfilled prophecy? Is that sufficient? But whatever it is, God knows what circumstances make a man without blindness at all. He's no longer in the dark. And the man, the claim upon his conscience is so strong that he knows that God is calling. And God expects his response and that when men in the, the term of Romans to disobey the truth there God will bring such men to resurrectional account now all the details all we can say is only God knows but the principle is the, the critical issue yes now, uh, there was another phrase you used back here that I can't remember, but that, that not only would the person have to hear all these things, uh, but God would have to be working on it. Some phrase you used that, that God would work on it. God at work. God at work. And the idea that a conscience convicted, you know, however God does that, there comes a point where the conscience says, this is, this so, is real. Well, what I'm wondering is, if, you know, if you're saying that there are people we know that go through the Sunday schools and go through Bible schools and so forth and grasp the principles and seem to understand them and so on and so forth, but you're still saying that uh, that that uh, there's that if God hasn't worked upon them, that this this would you know we don't know with certainty, even yeah. if we've taught them for a hundred years whether in fact you know it, it is all sort of you know whatever the thing is that puts it all together in their mind is from as God sees it and they know that they need to make a response we just don't know what why is it such an issue then with you that there has to be a first principle of saving faith when Paul says that uh, in, in, uh, in Romans the sixth chapter he said when you were uh, you were the servants of sin he says, when you were servants of sin, you were free to righteousness, free from righteousness. But not free from justice and God's judgment. And that's the issue, because a brother raised the issue and said... But he says uh, that uh, by being baptized into Christ, into his death, he said, uh, therefore, the implication is, look, don't sin, because you're going to be liable to the judgment seat of Christ. 
Whereas before, you are, you're not dead in sin. You're, you haven't changed. You're still under condemnation. Well, you're, you're dead, dead in sin. You're dead in sin. There's not going to be any resurrection. Well, now that's well, that, because that's, he says, uh, uh, if you've been baptized in the likeness of, of his death, so shall you be also in resurrection. If you haven't been baptized in the likeness of his death, neither will you be in resurrection. Well, he doesn't say that. What he well, does say is that if you've been baptized that, into his death, you, the original that's hope. Anastasis, not baptized in or raised in, in, in the likeness of his death. The King James says you should be raised in the likeness of his resurrection. But the original says you should be in, in, in of anastasis or just resurrection, standing again. This is now those are clear, concise words. That's not we don't have to speculate on the meaning of that. No, Ed, but we do need to You're consider on this carefully. Isn't, isn't clear. No, no, I think the issue right here, Ed, is when one deals with scripture of that nature, one still is making a, making assumptions about uh, what it is that is being specifically meant by the term anastasis. I suggest to you, in the concordance, when we look up the resurrection, it is never, I suggest to you, the promise, well, let me finish. It is never in Scripture the promise of God to raise a man from the dead. It is God's promise to Abraham to give him life. Now, resurrection no, 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 is a part of the process that brings us to life. Excuse me. Let's take that point there now, because uh, Christ is dealing with the Sadducees. They said there's no resurrection. Right. He said he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God's not the God of the dead. So that implies the resurrection. And none of us here believe in, in immortal emergence. Right. And, and uh, after the resurrection, then judgment. And then those who have been given, who have passed the judgment, are given the zoo or the life. Now, uh, that's, that's clear scriptural teaching. But I believe the hope of the resurrection of the dead, Ed, and this is where maybe we can just disagree. The hope of the resurrection from the dead is not the hope that my death will be reassembled. It's the hope that my death will be reassembled forever. Yeah, but the, 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 he doesn't so there. In Adam, all may die, but in Christ, all will be made alive. <clears throat> not resurrected from the dead, all will be made alive. Those are not in Christ will not be made alive. Because when you're raised up from the dead, you're still mortal. You're still dead people. Men don't become alive unless they are related to that which can give them life. Not getting out of the grave, as you recognize, and we all recognize, when Paul or God himself talks about dead men and living men, all of us here at one time were held by him to be dead men. Until we entered into Christ, we weren't considered living unto him. And when a man stands up at the day of resurrection, not in covenant, God doesn't look on him as a living man. His name isn't in the book of life. And he raises him up for the purposes of the exercise of his justice and judgment. And that's his prerogative. But these men, he raises up because their names are in the book of life. And he judged them accordingly. And all that we're saying is a principle, a teaching, was brought aggressively into the, into the community in the early days, which denied God's uh, this principle of God dealing with men instead God only deals with men on the basis of covenant. Now, this proposal, again, I want to get back to the basic point of the proposal, and we can disagree on that as to whether that, you know, this is where we're voting, in a sense, we express what our scriptural belief is. But the proposal, while reaffirming the importance of this, also reaffirms the importance of that principle, which was denied, and has become the subject of division and all of the, the problems that arise out of that. Now, I think, again, not to be presumptuous, but I think we're at that point where 
all brethren sitting here, I believe, understand what the intent of the proposal is. And I think that really is the important uh, we need in terms of the discussion is to clearly understand that. I believe at this point, and I think, you know, because of the discussion, and I think that your discussion has been very helpful in this regard, um, I, I'm hopeful that brethren see the importance of why this principle is articulated. It was to lay to rest, it is to lay to rest, a belief that was brought into the community. And this is reaffirming what was what was uh, once there, if you like, and rejecting specifically the idea uh, that came as a result of that uh, idea uh, that was introduced early in the community. Now, at that point, I think that um, we're probably at a, at a, at a breaking point. And we can psychological Okay, when when I went down to Southern California to hear the brethren down there and try to understand where they were coming from. I went down not as a representative, and still feel I am not a representative of the entirety of the unamended brotherhood. That would have been usurpation on my part in my opinion, and I think that we should have a duly elected committee to uh, uh, buy you brethren to hold that position. But we were looking to see if there was enough ground of commonality to where we could unite California, which is greatly desirable in some ways. In doing so, we had to take into account the accents that the amended brethren put on how they view the thing and the accents that the unamended put on how they view it. And in doing so, this, I was rather happy with, with the outcome of this because it put the accent, I felt, where it belonged. Uh, we spent dozens of hours down there, Brother Ken can testify, we talked with the CMPA brethren. We, um, I had, I guess, pretty near blew the thing apart several times because uh, either I was asleep when I should have been listening or something else. But anyway, out of it, I came away much more aware of the real issues and the artificial issues that separate our brotherhood. And there are a lot of artificial ones that are unfortunately imposed in the on the mentality. Okay, let me read the responsibility clause. I don't want to get into a filibuster. Okay, all men responsible to God. We know that. No problem. Item two here is the one that I wish to bring to the attention of you, uh, brethren, who are concerned about this clause. By God's grace, some enjoy a privileged position. They are sons of God through faith, by faith, through Jesus Christ. They are in covenant relationship. They are under discipline and must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, both the just and unjust, living and dead. Now Paul said that in more than one place. This is an unquestioned principle. The household must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, uh, living and dead, just and unjust. Judgment of all others is also the responsibility of Jesus, which is true. Although God will judge those that are without, Jesus is the means through which God will judge those that are with us. So that's a fair statement. A, I want you to notice the wording here, it's important. A major Bible principle covering the liability to condemnation of such is based on the rebellion or disobedience of enlightened men who knowingly reject the counsel and commands of God. That's a sentence you ought to read every word uh, of. Ponder it, because every word is important in that sentence. Um, it is the fairest approach to the concept of responsibility that I think we could ever achieve. And I don't think should stand. If, if this were the only issue that stood between the uniting of our brotherhood, I don't think this reasonable cause to stay apart. Not that I'm, I'm not sponsoring this against the will of the brotherhood up here. 
I'm just telling you, in my opinion, when we tried to hammer that out, we thought that was as fair an approach to the issue <coughs> as we could get. Okay, Bob, over to you. That's all I want to say about it. Okay. Thank you, Tom. Um, all right, Ted will now uh, take us into a consideration or a review of the points on fellowship and the implementation procedures, which uh, are of concern, I think, to all of us. First, just some general uh, points on the doctrine of fellowship as implicitly or explicitly um, dealt with in the proposal. Basically, just some basic points. We live together as a community because we uphold and respect a common faith. I believe we agree and understand this principle. This common faith acts like a boundary line for our community, identifying those within the community and those not within the community. Third, this common faith consists of those beliefs we have found essential, found to be essential for salvation. It also includes matters deemed vital to the preservation of these essential beliefs. Thus, we have doctrines to be rejected, as well as a number of explanatory statements within our statement of faith, which you may not say that's a first principle, but they certainly were discovered over the years to be essential to the preservation of these matters. The written expression of our common faith, that common faith which creates us, makes us into this community, is our statement of faith. For us, it's the BUS of F, and for the amended community at this time, it's the Birmingham amended statement of faith. Statements of faith can be considered equivalent to each other if all brethren agree that they express the same faith where they are perceived to differ, a unity proposal must bridge this gap, if it is to be bridged. If we're going to live within a common community and uphold a, a common faith, then we must have some expression of it that is held to be um, the same, if not the same words, clearly, the same uh, ideas are being expressed. Now, the intent of the California Unity Proposal, as it states in its opening paragraph, is just this. It is understood and agreed that the doctrines to be believed and taught by us are the first principles of the one faith, as revealed in the scriptures. Of these, the two principal statements of faith, the Birmingham Amended Statement of Faith and the Birmingham Unamended Statement of Faith, both of which will continue in use among us, along with the positive and negative clauses and the commandments of Christ, define our beliefs in the light of the agreed understanding set out herein. <clears throat> so, as a premise of the whole issue of fellowship, we recognize that if we are to live together in a common community, since brethren do feel that there exists a difference and there, there are perceived differences between the two communities, the intent of the California Unity Proposal is to um, clarify and to uh, bridge this gap, resolve those, those conflicts of understanding. Now, at this point, we have gone through in the course of uh, the prior meeting and this meeting, the doctrinal issues, the one key doctrinal area that remains is the issue of fellowship uh, that needs to be presented. Now, I'd like to just cut through a lot of presentation time, not because it's going to be, in a sense, uh, superfluous, the preparations that I've made before. Uh, during the last meeting in this, us and, and the brethren in Southern California have 
looked over the fellowship clause, recognizing the concerns that had been, be had been voiced before at the meeting and even before that, and have come up with an alternative. And I'd like to put that before you now for consideration as being accepted as part of the final proposal. So it will replace the fellowship clause as presently exists. Now, in light of the basic issues that I just had up on the screen about fellowship, the basic principles which brethren not only believe, they practice this in both communities, what I just put up there. The fellowship clause now is, we suggest, should now state we agree to restrict our fellowship at the memorial table of memorial table to those Christadelphian ecclesias who subscribe to these statements and honor them in fellowship. The point being, as noted before, that where there are perceived differences, this statement is intended to bridge that gap and now form, if you like, the expression of our common faith. And since we now are expressing a common belief, if this is how brethren ultimately vote, then this becomes the boundary line of our community. And so we ought to, as is right, honor that boundary line, even as we honor it now with the unamended statement of faith, or ought to. So the idea here is the basic Bible principle concerning the relationship among uh, ecclesias and brethren. Now, the key area, of course, is not so much that which is acknowledged Bible principle and uh, um, fellowship among brethren, but how do we get there and what does that mean about our relationship with brethren now? So we refer brethren to some material to follow. This clause here is intended to be a basic statement about fellowship practice subsequent to reunion. How this fellowship will be implemented in the context of the California Unity Proposal is explained in the assurances regarding implementation and fellowship and the implementation procedures. These two statements would follow your letters of assurance. So there will be a third letter of assurance in a sense that is a mutual letter. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, follow me here. Pass those out. I apologize. Forgot to pass those out. Thank you, Marco. Does everyone have one? This has everything that I have on the overhead. So, starting at this point, mutual assurances regarding implementation and fellowship. We have these statements, which we're recommending be a part of the final uh, proposal package. Within California, the unity proposal will unite the amended and unamended ecclesias in California, restricting fellowship to those ecclesias who have accepted this proposal in accord with this principle. The intent of the California Brethren is to proceed on a basis for unity that resolves the fundamental historic problems between our communities and promotes unity among the amended and unamended ecclesias in North America. The amended ecclesias in California desire to proceed on a basis of unity that will find general acceptance in the central community. The unamended ecclesias in California share a similar desire concerning their brethren. Sadly, they recognize that with the reintroduction of the teaching that led to the original division among the early ecclesias in the 1800s, it is not possible to create a proposal that will find general acceptance in the unamended community. It is the hope, though, of the unamended ecclesias in California 
that many, and I, I would assume all of us, would prefer even the word all on a minute ecclesias, outside California, will find the proposal acceptable as a basis for unity with the central community. It is the intent of our implementation procedure to allow time for implementation details to be developed in these other areas. It is not the intent of the brethren in California to force unity in areas outside California. It is also not their desire to force disunity upon those ecclesias desiring in good faith to join with their brethren in California. Brethren cannot be put in the position of doing a right thing, unity with their brethren in California, in a wrong way, cutting off brethren in Christ to agree with the principles in the proposal and are willing to govern their fellowship practices accordingly. It is recognized that this proposal will create a new boundary line of fellowship. Those ecclesias who subscribe to the proposal are agreeing to confine their inter-ecclesial fellowship only to those ecclesias who also live within these prescribed boundaries. If the preponderant majority of all Christadelphian ecclesias in North America were to accept this proposal, fellowship names would largely disappear as a sad fact of Christadelphian history. What is important are not the names, but the agreement to at last heal, by God's grace, the breach that has separated brethren for so long. It is our common prayer that it will please God to bless this work and by His grace bring to birth a stronger and healthier community united in that faith which leads to eternal life and in that love for one another which bears fruit pleasing to God. And finally, this is, as you noted in there, is to be in conjunction with these implementation procedures. Um, these do not fill out you know, sort of the details of how things are done, as that becomes very, very wordy and unnecessary. But these are the basic procedures. Reach agreement on doctrinal issues, which essentially means sending out this proposal yeah, in its final form, as you would agree to, if you agree to do this. And if brethren come back in a preponderant majority, say yes, then you have the basis of an adoptional agreement on, on the issues. Then, following that point, set a date for mutual cooperation and fellowship, allowing six to twelve months for each community to inform their brethren outside California and to seek their blessing on this reunion. So there would be a period of time for information and you know, encouragement of what is being done. If ecclesias outside California find the proposal sufficient for unity, adequately laying to rest past and present concerns, and providing sufficient safeguards for the future, we hope these ecclesias will also agree to become part of the reunited community. Again, going back to a little bit earlier and what was said, and the assurances, that's why the time period is being provided so that this can happen. It is possible that in either one or both communities, the reaction outside California will be so overwhelmingly negative that the cost of reunion will be considered too great to proceed. Both acknowledge this possibility. After the time period has passed and brethren in both communities find that God has indeed blessed this effort, formal unity will commit. This date will mark the beginning of our new ecclesial relationship, the beginning of a mutual and by God's grace, fruitful cooperation between our two California communities. Now, those are the, the basic <coughs> elements of the uh, fellowship practice after reunion, assurances, um, expressing you know what each community understands will be the 
uh, for the outcome and implementation and the actual general procedures. Um, at this point, I need to obviously open it up to your, your concerns or questions. Um, I'd like first, if possible, to have questions and concerns directed to, to these issues. Yeah, on the uh, mutual assured, uh, mutual assurances there on the uh, fourth paragraph down. <laughs> I think the middle part of that paragraph is kind of baiting the question and, and might be offensive to people without really um, proving or, or I don't think it's an assurance that necessarily anyone needs. Uh, where it says, sadly, they recognize that the reintroduction of teaching that led to the original division among the early ecclesias in the, in the 1800s. Um, maybe it's not important if, if this is reintroduction or was what that way all along, or it really probably doesn't make any difference. And, and I think you could find arguments both ways, and people would get upset either way, and it probably doesn't really make any difference. And so if you could. Uh, change that and delete starting at that, that was the reintroduction of the teachings that led to the original division, and then just say it is not possible or may not be possible. In other words, the sentence would be remain the same, but just leave out that part of the... Yeah, good point. Okay. That's what it's up here for, it's suggested, so that's the uh, recommendation. Sadly, they recognize it is not possible and instead of getting into an argument as to right. why. Okay. I hear general agreement on that, so we'll go with that. So how did you read that? Just sadly they recognize that it is not possible to create a proposal that will find in I mean I I think all of us here recognize that at this point in time that that seems to be a true statement. Without having to argue as to why it's a true statement. Just, for whatever multitude of reasons. Well, how about probable instead of possible? <laughs> I'm thinking about trying to make it, you know, there might be, you could say may not be possible. Probably not Okay. Sadly, they recognize that it may not be possible to yeah, create a be. That's better. May not, yeah, may not be. May not be. Sure. It may not be possible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Question. Pertinent to this, sure. Yeah, why are you saying that? Which? What was just sadly they recognized? It was put in opposition to, uh, not in opposition, but it, it is a recognition here that these brethren feel that they will probably, um, not without hard work, but find general acceptance. Um, in our community, a lot is being written that says it isn't going to happen. So we do we have to necessarily acknowledge what's being written that's not going to happen? Do we need to explain why our desire is not uh, this time possible to be fulfilled? Why? Why would we need to say that? Why can't we just simply say what you said in the other, that the desire is the same? The desire is the same, but it addresses what, you know, some have said is, are the inequities of the proposal. But that might go with the amendment also. What do you mean by the inequities of the proposal? From the very beginning, um, there has uh, been a, Brother, Brother Ken and his committee have worked very hard to, to entertain and to consider the needs of the central community, you know, what is in the central community. We have not been able to do the same. We have tried that for many years at the national level. And of late of current, there has been um, very clear division of thought in the unamended community. There doesn't exist a division of thought. Uh, people may not like the way some brethren write and express things. But with this proposal, it is, this will represent what the, in a sense, the central community is saying, and not just the amended in California. We can't get that kind of uh, agreement.
See what it okay, what it comes down to, yeah, this is right, Lorraine. Because what it comes down to is <coughs> when we come sort of the end of the process, I'm trying to find the right point to sort of come in on this. The amended community, rather than in Southern California, or the, the amended California, um, weigh up the cost like we're going to weigh up the cost. They're trying to do those things within the context of, of their community. They're trying to give the assurances which their community can give to the whole. We can't operate that way because the amended, unamended fellowship doesn't exist as a whole. There are two very clear, or at least two, forms of thinking in the community today, um, which in some cases border on division in the unamended community. We just don't exist as a whole. Well, there's a pretty broad spectrum in belief down there, too. Well, okay. Now I can obviously stand corrected. I'm making it very simple. Thing. Thing, it isn't as obvious as what well, our problems here. But well, I'm going to just go back to my question. Why are you making that statement? To spell out why there is essentially a difference in the way things are approached between the two communities. Can you say what you would rather have, Martha? I'm kind of confused why it's important. Well, I'm just, I'm, okay, you said the amended, the amended ecclesias, okay, these are mutual assurances. We're explaining to each other, right. The amended are explaining what their hope is. They're looking for their, their whole community to accept it. There may be some ecclesias which don't accept it and they find themselves outside the central fellowship. So what you're saying is that we're not? That we're not what? That we're not looking for that same hope? Yeah, we're, that's where this does express that same hope. But it has a, a kind of a qualifier on it. That's point, right. Uh, what do you call it? A, well, whatever, that's too fancy for me, Randy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a disclaimer. It's a disclaimer. And I'm just, I don't think we need to say that. I think if we're going to, why can't we express the same hope? We do. And at least it, to me, well, no, we don't. We don't express the same hope. We express the same hope, but then we say, well, we don't think we're going to get it. Marco, are you saying you would like to see everything after the word brother taken off? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, it's okay. You put the two together. Yeah, the amended Jesus in California desires to proceed on a basis of unity that will find general acceptance from the central community, and the unamended Jesus in California have the same desire. Okay, so after that, you're saying so you're recommending that we delete this whole sentence. Yeah, I think that's what he's saying. That's what I'm saying. Okay, this paragraph though I think is important to leave. Oh, before you decide that. Yeah, we Oh no, we haven't decided that at all. Yeah, I'm just saying, you know, if mm -hmm. uh, I'm saying that Marco, if Marco is addressing just that, yes, if he's addressing this paragraph, um, Are you I would understand why I'm saying what I'm saying. I'm saying it because you're coming off with the, you're saying well, this is our hope, but we don't think we're going to get it. And I mean that's why starting on, on, you know, the foot going the other way. In France, when you don't get it, you won't be surprised. And where? <laughs> okay, I'm willing to, uh, you know, I mean, fast. Are we different in our hope? Our no, and then yet, so no, no, that's my point. No, the hope is the same. Yeah, Whether it happens or not, I mean, that's, you have to understand off somewhere in the long term. Well, we realize that it doesn't need to be a prince. I think what was originally written there was actually accurate. It says it is not possible to create a proposal that will find out, which is a fact. That is a fact. The unamended community, whether anyone in this room wants to recognize it or not, that's a fact. And I think what Will brought up was, was he tried to soften it. And I think that that's a valid softening of it because it softens the sentence to say, we still have the hope to make allowance for, for it. But to take that out completely, I think, is, I, I can't see the validity in doing it because it is not. I mean, the actual first statement is true. It's not possible. Well, I 
second paragraph. Right in there, make it one paragraph. Attach it all in one paragraph. That, that all seems reasonable. Yeah, that can be done. That okay. seems very reasonable. Because what we say is hope, but, and, and it's I think that's the word I think we should eliminate it. You certainly show your bias. Uh, you're not putting both communities on an equal basis. No, it's not. The, the amended ecclesias and then the unamended. That, that's right, Ed. That's why the necessary explanation, that was the only reason that the explanation was put in there, because our communities aren't on the same. They're not the same. They're two, they're two different communities. Are you saying that theirs are and our are? No, I'm just saying that our communities are different. We, you know, there's, we think of ourselves well, different. Why don't you uh, just trying to deal with that difference? The truth of the matter is that, that you uh, want to be amended. Only you don't want to admit it to the unamended. Why don't you, brethren, I think, no, that's an accurate question. The amended group. Let's put out the Let the unamended go their sad way that they're going. I think, Ed, this is the answer to that question. You're saying we're joining the amended. You mean surrender, subjugation, one-sidedness. If the unamended concerns were not being addressed by the central community, this fear would be true. The intent of the unity proposal is to heal the division in the body of Christ through a reconciliation process. Such a process seeks to lay to rest the past abuses and excesses in doctrine and practice as well as the honest fears that have arisen through years of separation. Such a process seeks to draw brethren together through assurances and mutual submission to one another in the spirit of Romans 14. Would you be required to accept the Birmingham Amended Statement of Faith or will you retain the Birmingham Unamended Statement of Faith without qualification? The um, original overhead that I put up says that both statements of faith will continue in use among us along with the you know, commandments and so forth in light of the agreed understanding set up herein. Will it be a written document? Yeah. The the document the, the California Unity Proposal is the is the document yes the bridging document that creates a common understanding of what the faith is we're all agreeing is uh, what we're gonna we, we agree and believe is essential well then it's a new statement of faith what do you call in principle it is working out the um, the differences of understanding that have existed. All this is is that it's saying that both statements of faith are sound, problems have arisen, and this seeks to address those problems so that we can now go back and get on with the real business of, of our religion. Sure. I'll wait. Okay, the right. Uh, back to what David was saying in that other one, that, that other thing. <coughs> Yeah. Um, I feel that's a realistic or painful. Maybe it's negative, but I think it's realistic. I think there may be a spectrum of there may be some variances of belief, you know, in the sense of but I think there's a much broader spectrum in the unlanded and there always has been. I think it's come to the forefront. And I mean that if you leave it without that little extra part in there, then that doesn't address the problem of all these different letters that we've been getting, all these different points of view, all these things are being said. It's as if we're being ostriches, sticking our heads in the sand, and these brethren, when they get it, are going to say, well, hey, didn't they get our letters, and don't they know how we feel? And I mean, I think that's being very realistic to believe it in, uh, negative or otherwise. That's the way it is. Sure. For those who choose not to um, agree with the bridging document in the amended community, and for those who choose not to fill in the unamended community, I'm curious as to what the new group will consider those people. I'm sure that those brethren will still consider themselves to be either amended or unamended. 
So what would be the most recent call, or would they choose to not consider the public residents on the individual alternatives but consider themselves a combination of both, or what? This is, that's, you know, that's a very good question because, and that's been asked us in Southern California too, all right? Come, both, brethren on both sides are concerned about, about that. Uh, and this is what this was intended to address. The amended community in California, if 50% of their brethren said we'll go along with it outside California. They said, oh yeah, that's great. This seems to be okay. And 50% said no. Uh, we know that their brethren would say that cost is too great. We're not going to split the central fellowship over this issue. Okay? If there was a far greater, a preponderant majority of their brethren outside, you know, maybe 80, 90%, and I'm not judging what, what would be their, their thinking on the matter, uh, that therefore there may be a few ecclesias that would say, well, we're going to go back to the Bereans, which may happen. Um, then they would probably feel that it was better to go ahead, that that would be the right thing to do to go ahead. On the unamended community, um, that's a far more difficult situation because we almost have, if you were to draw the old Civil War line, you know, there's a perception of north and south almost among the unamended in the United States. I mean, that's not obviously precisely true, but um, and where brethren might feel in their own minds and where their ecclesias are at this moment could be two different things, but generally I think you, you see there's a far greater split of thinking in the unamended community which doesn't exist in the amended community. Amended brethren may object to having reunion and therefore say, we won't go along. But in the unamended community, we have not only we don't want reunion, but we just can't believe anything the amended say. They're apostates and they're a thousand light years away from wherever the truth is these days. We can't have reunion. So it means that whatever we look at as the cost for the unamended might be different than for the amended. In the final analysis it means that if both communities as a whole in North America do not see this as the vehicle by which they can lay to rest 100 years of fighting, then you'll likely have the central community accepting it and a portion of the unamended community accepting it and therefore while I know that if, if we were to accept it here in California someone may call me central I would call myself a Christadelphian perhaps but essentially we're being identified we will identify with the central community because we're obviously not going to tell the brethren who wish to remain unamended that they no longer have a right to their name unamended if that's what they want we wish that that sad fact of history could be laid to rest also. Everybody's desire is that the names could disappear like they did in England. President, oh, Mr. Chairman? Before this even gets outside of California, it's really my main concern. Um, even you know, what happens to those people, those brethren in California, within California? Before it ever goes out of California, the brethren in California should be considered as to the far side of either fellowship. What will happen? Will, will, will those that I'm ended after you, I'm beginning to feel that, from what you just said, that those that I'm ended who are more in agreement with the amended statement of faith, will go towards the amended and the so-called unamended will just remain where they are. What, yes. Pretty much the case. Uh, pretty much the case is those, when you say go towards the amended, I'm, I'm trying to say or that... No, they were, they're not. They're not. They're not saying that. There may be a disagreement as to what the unamended statement of faith is intending to say, but the issue here is those who can go along with the proposal become a part of a reunited community. 
and they live and respect the boundary lines of that community. And our desire is that all brethren in California can go along with it. But if that doesn't happen, and I don't really see that it will. If it cannot happen at this time, if some brethren feel that they're not able in their conscience at this time to even test that time or that situation, it certainly would be our hope that over the course of time they may find that the reunion was sound and that in retrospect they then say, well, perhaps we could reunite as well. There is no desire to 